Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. You're very welcome to this week's podcast, The Story of Bewley's. I'm Maurice O'Keefe, and this is the sixth in a series of seven old Dublin family businesses. The story of Bewley's is indeed a fascinating story, and in this podcast, we take a look back at a family business, and of course, they became part of the cultural fabric of Dublin, and who practiced the Quaker ethos in their business, so indeed, it's a very important story. And to tell it, I first spoke to Paddy Bewley, who is the last in the line of the Bewley family to run the business, and the one that sold it. And later we hear from Patrick Campbell of Campbell Catering, who came and rescued the company and bought it. But first we hear Paddy Bewley talking about his family's background. I'm here in Dawking and I'm talking to Paddy Bewley. Paddy, um, I'm sure this is going to be a fascinating story. Uh, uh, where did it all start for you? Well, uh, I was... Um Born on a farm in North County Dublin, Noxidan, Swords. Um, my father and his two uncles were the um, owners of the business. Uh, the business was started by my grandfather, um, or great grandfather actually, in South in Sycamore Alley in Dublin. What was his name? His name was Joshua Bewley uh, in in the eighteen forties. In eighteen forty, unfortunately, we had a fire in our Westman Street Cafe, where all the records were kept, but it was sometime in the 1840s. But the, and that was in Sycamore Alley, and his son, um, Ernest Bewley, my grandfather, was really the entrepreneur who built the business up. It moved from Sycamore Alley to um, South Great Georgia Street, um, and he selling he was selling uh, tea and um, sugar across the counter, and his cousin. Um, persuaded him to buy a hundred weight of raw coffee um, so he started to roast the coffee in the, in the shop in Georgia Street um, but to promote the coffee he decided he brought in some, he lived in um, Danham in, where the high school are now in Rathgar he, he brought in the back of his bike some buns and pastries that made it home to give out with, the, with samples of the liquid coffee, and this went so well that he started a cafe, um, and then he opened up in Westmoreland Street in in the early nineteen hundreds, and in the, the the big one was Grafton Street in nineteen twenty six. He opened it, um, and then he subsequently, a couple of years later, died, and my uncle Victor Bewley took over the running of the business and the business as I said earlier was shared between um, the three sons Victor, Alfred and Joe my father so it's a long way around to say that the Victor looked after the, the business Vic, Alfred was the baker and we had a farm because it was a farm my grandfather had a farm in Danham in Rathgar and that was sold to the high school and they moved the Jersey cows out to Noxidan in North County Dublin and my father was the farmer and he looked after Jersey cows and the milk from the uh, Jersey cows and the cream went into the cafes every day uh, to be served um, no pasteurisation or anything in those days yes. so I was brought up uh, I was born in 1944 brought up in out there 
in, in uh, way, on farm. the farm. Yeah. Yes. So that's that's where life started for yeah. you. And uh, in the early days, your earliest memories going into Grafton Street. What, what was the premises like? And uh, well, when, when I when I say what, what were my memories, of course, we we were the children of. The, one of the owners, so we, we got sort of special treatments, you know, we were shown to our seats and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Uh, and, um, but, uh, you know, I mean, there were, there were good memories. Yeah, and the three brothers, did they yeah. get on well? Oh, yes, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Victor, of course, was went on to be, become very well known in the itinerant world. He, he, he was with um, Father Feely and Lady um, Wicklow. Um, were in the 1970s very active in, in trying to um, look look you know give the itinerants a better life, and that that coincided with the next generation coming into the business. Interesting, uh, yeah, because yes. uh, he sort of took a little bit of a backseat, even though he was uh, the managing director. He he had young books in there, uh, yeah, uh, and he, he he looked after the itinerants. But it was way ahead of its time. Ernest Bewley, who was the entrepreneur. Um, of, of the and built it up. When he died in in in, in uh, a couple of years after Grafton Street opening, he left the business in quite a big debt. Yeah, there was a big debt owed to the, the banks. And um, um, Victor, the, at twenty one, being the eldest son, your uh, uncle, yeah, Victor took over the running of it, and he was greatly helped by. Um, the uh, grandfather's solicitor, um, Achi Overend, um, of A&L Goodbody. Yeah. Probably you might have heard of the Overends. Um, well, this was Goodbody stockbrokers. No, Goodbody, uh, A&L Goodbody solicitors. Oh, the solicitors, yes. yes. Different, well, they're oh, all related, all right. Yes. Well, well, they're all related, Goodbodies were all related at the time. Yeah. Um, Achi Overend was the chairman of the, of the company. Um, and actually, the... He, one of the one of the directors was, was Johnny Bewley's grandfather, I think, as well. They were, oh, yeah, they were, they, they were connected in that way. But it, all all coming from the Quaker tradition. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Um, well, I can come back to that in a minute. But okay. the 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 the, um, the business anyway was in 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 need of well financially strapped uh, and he actually over and was it was described as my grandfather's four-wheel brakes he was sort of okay, he put the brakes on uh, yeah the reins yeah, on. yeah the brakes on. yeah anyway so when when my when victor took over actually over and and um the senior staff in the business the managers and manageresses of the various departments rolled in behind and he never victor never forgot that um yeah. Yeah. Uh, so um and then um, so Victor was um, very concerned about the future of the business. He was concerned that it, it, the, the next generation would want to sell out and the staff would lose out and it would be broken up. So he um, he got very interested in, in common ownership. Uh, yes, uh, and interesting. He, oh yeah, and he, um, he, he got me involved as well. We went over to um, meetings in England and... and um, Met people like I mean John Lewis is 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 the only example that I, I know of now. So he he transferred the shares in the business into a con- common ownership, the Bewley Community Limited. Much to the um, it wasn't very actually over and and other people tried to persuade him not to do it, but he did it, uh, and we all went along with it. I suppose we were very um, naive in that direction. Um, and um, so that that was that was fine. I mean, we there was the board of directors, and 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 then there was a, there was a, there was a community committee who were the shareholders. Um, but then we were going into turbulent times economically in Ireland, and um, inflation was high, and interest rates were seventeen or eighteen percent, and um, we had to make sort of difficult decisions about. Um, Staff. We t- we changed from wait to service to self service. Um, we had to um, sell the the farm um, to, to finance the yeah keep business. the business it's going. going. Uh, and eventually, we 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 had we, we there, was, there was only one way out was was is, is to um, get sell sell the business, even though it had been set up as, uh, to make it difficult. 
but we, we, you know, we managed to, for the survival to get that, and we were bought by Camel Catering, and simply they put a million pounds, uh, as it was then, into the business um, to pay out the pension. Because Victor, in his, in his, he, he was, now he, he was, Victor was as steady as you go. Guy. He was a guy that steadied it. Yeah, show. and very, a, a detailed person about it. He ran a very good show. Yeah. Um, but he wasn't uh, um, in an expansive mood or anything like that. Um, but he, uh, in addition to ch- changing the ownership to um, to the for the staff, for everyone working in it, he also was very generous with the pension uh, things. And it was we had a non-contributory pension scheme which is sort of unheard of nowadays. Yeah. You have to contribute to your own pension now. Um, but and, and he went even as far as you got a pension after 20 years in the business, you know, that sort of stuff, right, right down to that. Your own schooling yeah. days. Uh, mm. Did you train to... Did you do well, any kind of apprenticeship? Well, 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 well I, I, I went to a um, Quaker uh, school in Waterford called Newtown, um, a co-ed school, and after that, I didn't know what I wanted to do. But I, anyway, I was quite an innocent figure, so I went into what was then Stokes Brothers and Pym, which now is KPMG. It became Stokes, Kennedy Crowley, and then it's now yeah. one of the big four. Uh, I did accountancy for three years. It didn't like me, and I didn't like it. And I, <laughs> I left. Uh, well, I got a good grounding, good experience in there. Met. And then I, I, so I went into the business then, and I... Um, Worked behind the counter in the cafe making coffee. How much were you when you were there in behind? Uh, I was, uh, let's see, I went into the business in 1965, so I was 21. Right, so as a, as a young lad, yeah. in, in, and, and in the, the, the 60s, it, it, you know, the, there was a lot lot of changes, a oh. lot going on. Oh, yeah, you know? absolutely. Um, so I made coffee for six months behind, and because um, that was Victor's. If you're going to in here, you have to learn yeah. from the bottom. Red coffee, and then Richard, who my elder cousin, left, and he went. He went on to voluntary services somewhere, and I went out to the front of the premises where they had the tea and coffee counters, and I served behind the counter, serving um, ground coffee and beans and things like that. Not 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 the coffee, because there was no no supermarkets around then to to you. It was, um, Super Queen or in, or Queensworth or and hadn't yeah. arrived. You know, yeah. there was finlators and all. You got your deliveries, groceries, deliveries, and all that sort of stuff. Yes. So people had to come into Bewley's or Robert Roberts to get their coffee, and the fellows working used to come in and buy it, and, or the ladies sometimes. But but so I worked there, and I thought that was terrific. I really enjoyed that. Um, Vic, Victor was the bought the coffee and the tea. Uh, and within a couple of years, he got me involved in it, and I ended up buying the tea and coffee for quite some time then. Well, now that's interesting. So, where were you? Uh, where was coffee coming from? Well, the coffee was, we were buying it through a broker in England. In fact, we only had one supplier in those days. You know, Victor, very traditional. You know, the guy used to come over every yeah. year, but you buy it on the telephone. Uh, and I remember well when when. Uh, after a few years of me doing it, I went to another supplier as well, yeah. and there was murder from the the, the, the the original guy who had been doing it for years. He said, "Look, you know, what what's wrong? You know, sort of <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> what have I done wrong?" <laughs> yeah, but nowadays, you know, they mix the coffee to get different tastes. Oh, yeah, well, so it was on. always blending, but the one was supplier. Well, oh yes, oh yeah, well, you blend it. That's how you. That's how you maintain the taste. I mean, the, our our uh, main blend would have four different um, coffees in it, four yeah. different origins in it, because if one runs out. You need to be. You need to have three constants, and you need to be able to change. If you if 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 you only had one 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 origin, uh, the, the the next year's crop might be might be different, or you yeah. know, up or down. It, nowadays, we talk about free trade coffee. Oh yeah, well, we did. We never heard of all of this, or not not in those days. But we were. Yeah, I mean, I was the first to 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 bring in fair trade coffee into Ireland, for example. Oh, were you? Oh, what yeah. year was that? In. in um, Around about 1980, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. My granny, Susan Bewley, she was a huge influence on me. Because I, I, living out in North County Dublin and going to school in Rathgar, junior sc- I went to yeah. school at a little, again, a Quaker school uh, in, in Rathgar called Rathgar Junior School. Um, and uh, two days a week I used to come and stay the night there because we 
because um, we'd afternoon school or, or there was games or something like that on. So my I, my granny was in her 70s then or 80s then. Mm. Like when we sold or the company sold um, Danum, um, I, and my granny moved out of that. She moved into Rustover Road and it backed on to Danum in in high school. It was built. It was a door at the end of the garden into high school. So the, the brothers and the, the Al, Edward, not Edward, Alfred and Victor lived in the Danum for a while after the grandfather died and the granny moved into Rustover Road. Yeah. But so, but um, no, she was she was, she was terrific. I mean, she she. How was, did she influence you? Now? Uh, we 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 she read from the Bible and. You know, in the end, she'd, you'd sing hymns and things, uh, okay. uh, you know, yeah. all things bright and beautiful and that sort of stuff, you know. Yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, she was just a caring person. I don't know. Yeah, I know, but you you took a, yeah. obviously a great uh, mm. liking, and and uh, she she probably supported you as you, in your life as well. well yeah, I was the um, the eldest child of the younger of her her children. You see, so I was the first of Joe's children. You see, so he she had elder, more um, older grandchildren. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And uh, we didn't talk about your father at all. Uh, right. What was your dad's name? Joseph. Joseph. Joe. Well, you known as Joe. Yeah. Uh, and so, what kind of a man was he, and, and what position did he hold? Well, he 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 held, he, he owned a, th- a third of the business, if you like. Went before it went into the community. Uh, he trained as a, uh, uh, to be a farmer in, in with uh, a fellow called Rob McCullough in Ballybuckle, County Dublin. Um, quiet chap, um, liked uh, motor cars and did the Monte Carlo Rally. And, um, and yeah. I remember going to see him race in, in the Phoenix Park, which I did like. You know, he had some, you know, you could see crash, you know, that sort of stuff. But I would have been seven or eight then, I think. Oh my! Back uh, in the fifties, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, there was racing in in Phoenix Park in those days. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Mondello Park. No, he uh, never did. No, no, that came on later. Oh, yeah, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, so you grew up with uh, fast cars and um, well, yeah, that yeah, kind yeah. of life. That's why I sort of have this sort of boy's toy outside here. That's a sort of sporty thing. Oh, oh I see. <laughs> I got rid of it from him. Uh, well, yeah. Apart from Grafton Street, how many other stores? How many other? We only had Westmoreland Street and Georgia Street. Yeah. But when my, 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 my when a few years after me joining and, and with my cousin, we we actually opened up a, a few small small ones: Logan, John Drum, John Leary, that sort of thing. Um, um, right, but uh, again, you were uh, you were there. Your responsibility mm. was was in in the buying buying in. Yeah, I, I, I became um, managing director later on, um, but but in those days, I was just I, my job was um, buying the tea and coffee, and I was the manager of Westmoreland Street, and I had a brother, uh, this cousin John Poynton, who managed Grafton Street. He was older; he's about ten years older than me. Okay, and did all the the siblings and the the cousins? Did you get on? Uh, okay? yeah, we did, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, <laughs> no rows. No, right? no, no, no. Um, yeah, they, because they, that can happen. Oh yeah, know, they they, they le- lots of them. John pointed myself for the only ones that stuck the course. The rest of them left and other. And John was your first cousin. First cousin. Yeah, uh, he is my first cousin. Yeah, and he, he who, who was his father? Uh, his father was Noel um, Poynton, and he he married um, he married Sylvia. Bewley, which was the eldest of Ernest's uh, children. Oh, I see. Yeah, Victor's sister. Yeah, by my father's sister. So he, his his father, John Poynton's father, was the manager in Gravel Street, uh, and he married the boss's daughter. I was called yes, Mr. Yeah. Patrick. Were you? Oh yeah, because was there was Mr. Bewley was the boss, Victor, and the others were Mr. Alfred, Mr. Joe, and I was Mr. Patrick. But that was the way in every um, as you say in Guinnesses and in in all the big firms, uh, you know, in Smith and Pearson and in Win Stanley and Smith and Pearson. Now the Pearsons, my mother was um, my mother's mother was a Pearson. Yeah, there was a lot of that sort of stuff. But uh, you know, sharing ideas, business ideas. Not, not in a, in a Quaker fashion. No, I mean, my, 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 my end of family never joined any of these clubs, Stephen Screen Club or anything. Or and in fact, none of them ever went to university. My, my, um, um, probably my my younger son was one of the first at least to go to. He he went to UCG. Um, but the rest of us didn't. We went into the business. Or was there many uh, employed at the time? 
Oh, there would be three or four hundred people, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's quite a bit. Between all the stores? Yeah, three stores, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, no, no. Um, and, 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 of course, in those days, if you had a job, you held on to it. You didn't move. I mean, mm. I remember one of the managers saying, or manageresses, actually, she was going to be carried out in a box. You know, she kept going 50-odd years. Okay, and was it uh, um, generations followed? Yeah, oh, yeah. I, I remember chopped the roasted coffee when I was uh, there. His father had was a porter before him and he was delighted to get a job and like I was very bright because when we went to put in a coffee roaster that was computerised it was he, even though he'd never had any uh, um, proper any training after school he left to school and straight into um, into working billies he was able to um, cop this and it was an awful pity that he didn't get the opportunity to develop further because he had the brains Mm. So it was in those days. Yeah, and uh, so the, the the staff generally uh, would have been all Dublin people, would they? Oh yeah, and oh uh, yeah, inner city generally. Yeah, the handling of money was. Uh, oh yeah, how did that? Well, we had work? cashiers. As he was, waiter service, but we, we we there was a cash desk on the way out, um, and um, you had to pay. You got a docket from the waitress, and you submitted that. Of course. Some people didn't pay. Most pay, most did. And in fact, we used to get conscience money coming in years later from students and all who felt, you know. <laughs> <laughs> really? Oh, yeah. And they come back? Well, they'd send in 20 euro or something. How did it go wrong then? Or well, did it, it go wrong? Well, it was, know, when, when it's just when, weren't it, when you're taking decisions about uh, closing this, that and the other thing, you had people, you know, turkeys don't fall for Christmas. Um, you know, if you were making people redundant or whatever it was, and then um, we had we had no um, with the baker, with the bakers' union, all right, because we had a bakery in Grafton Street and one in Westman Street. Um, they were very strong. They were a bit like the miners in the UK, um, and they would they would rather close the business than agree to anything. Um, uh, and, and and staff, other staff, the general staff in the cafes joined unions. Too. We were dealing with unions as well as when when you were trying to sort out difficult problems. So it didn't help. Uh, so what union were you dealing with? Well, with the bakers' union, and we had, a, I think, um, and some of the other staff joined the bakers' union as well, even though they weren't waitresses and things. I can't remember. Uh, just I think it was the general worker. I forget what it was called. Yeah, yeah. And uh, who was dealing directly with them? Oh, well, was it you? I, I would have had to do it, yeah, some of us, and then um, yeah, we, we, yeah, we, yeah, but largely me. At the well, at, in the latter in the latter time, I, um, before we were closed, it would have been me. Yeah, before we sorry sold, it would have been me. Yeah. Okay, were they a factor? No, no, no. It, it 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 didn't help. They were they weren't helpful anyway. That was right. They didn't help. Um, and when Paddy Campbell of, of um, Campbell Catering came along, he was he had a took took a tough line with them and said, "Look, you know, if you want the business to survive, this is it." Hudson. Yeah. And it was sort of um, nail biting, sort of um, few days. Yeah, but it made your life tough, did it? Oh yeah, yeah. But I managed to. I was, I was surprised. I was managed to be able to sleep and get by and all that. I mean, it was more interesting the survival of the business than anything. You know, we had to. Yeah. Didn't want it to, because we did. We had a very good um, reputation. You know, we, we had a good brand. So, you say that the the the, um, the downturn in the economy mm. in the eighties. Mm. That's really when it hit and it. Oh yeah, yeah. Bites hard. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what, what year was it that the, the farm was sold? The farm would have been sold in the, in the early uh, in the early eighties. Um, I'm not sure. Well, was we, your father alive at that stage? Yeah, he retired to the holiday home in, in Clifton, and and um, he retired over to that. And my brother was farming, um, and he his compensation for him losing his job and all. He he got some um, cattle and things like that and he rented he rented a small farm and survived for a while before he retired the break up of all of that was that uh, how did that affect your father more, uh, probably your father more than any of you um, yeah, um, Victor they were they, Victor was retired uh, Alfred was retired too um, my father was the youngest he, he retired he, he was quite philosophical about it he could see that the farm he was 
Roger, my brother, took it more difficult because he came in uh, thinking the farm was just as important as the cafes and coffee end of it, which it wasn't because you know that was the main, that was the driving force, that was the gen- engine. The, the the farm was only a supporting thing, so uh, that's what the farm. And my father had acknowledged that he didn't have a problem with that. He could see that the, the farm wasn't wasn't the essential part. Okay, but. Uh, it had to be done to save the business. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We had a big, we had quite a lot of acres, six or seven hundred acres. Yeah. And in, in prime ground? No, it wasn't. It was, down, it, well, it was down, it was down, it was a rural, far, a rural farrow, um, big country house, and uh, average land. We, we had moved from, from um, North County Dublin down to um, Kildare at this stage and moved farms. In the... Um, Looking at the accounts, I we we did very well during the war. Um, you know, the, there was I don't know where we got supplies, and we had the, the, we had a bog up in Dublin, and we used to cut turf for the fire the ovens and for the bakery and all that sort of stuff. Um, but in, in so we, I, I, when I joined the in 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 nineteen sixty five, we were we were profitable and 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 as I said, we were very no competition whatsoever. Um, and and with people, people, fellows dressed up in uniforms on the door, directing queues and things. I think when when um, my grand, grandfather opened Grafton Street, you know, people would have drawn up in their carriages and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, and he had bridge. He used to have bridge. People had played bridge up in the second floor and that sort of stuff. You know, yeah. yeah. And over his highbrow. And it was it was Victorian looking, wasn't yeah, it? With yeah. the timber yeah. floors oh, and yeah. timber a marble tabletops, yeah, uh, windows, bentwood chairs, yeah, yeah. yeah. But he, he, he somehow got the Harry Clark windows uh, in the back of Grafton Street, were very famous. Um, he must have known well, Harry Clark. Well, he must have, or yeah. he wasn't. I, I, he, I don't think he was famous then. But he was just yeah. Harry Clark. You know, yeah. he was a perfectionist. He wanted the best, and even that wasn't good enough. Is what his famous uh, expression was. What he was an extraordinary guy because he, he I, I don't know where he, he got we um, another cousin of mine who's not in the business David Johnson from Johnson Brothers um, we are, was where he got his money from because he he, he got this built this big house in, in Rathgar called Janum 30 odd acres and he farmed Jersey cows there and that's where the Jersey cows thing started but he had he had um, p- pigs uh, who were uh, and, he, and he showed them and he had horses trotting horses and he, had, he went to Chelsea Flower Show and all that sort of stuff he, 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 he sent all his children to school at boarding school in the UK mm. yeah. your grandmother mm. did Susan. she yes her first name again was uh, S- Susan Susan yeah. yeah was she she was totally opposite to him what, she was exactly fr- oh yeah she was the one that you know was, was the ethical um, I I I never, my father never spoke too much about him, and Victor didn't say too much. Except I said I'd love to have worked with Ernest, and he said I don't think he'd have, he'd have survived. He said. <laughs> now that wasn't very really complimentary, <laughs> but so I think you know Ernest was was a, was a, a sort of um, he drove a Bentley and that sort of stuff, you know, uh, yeah. and she would be Granny would have um, would have rather cycled a bicycle. She was the, of the other. There were two extremes, I think. Yeah, I got on well. Isn't that yeah, yeah. opposites? Yeah, uh, but but she showed a more and she would have influenced. She would have influenced Victor big time. I think when her, her husband died. Mm-hmm. Well, and she was the daughter of a missionaries. Her, her father and mother were missionaries in Madagascar. People in those days did you know to even I, I'm just thinking the ordinary workers mm. in Dublin. You know, affording a cup of coffee mm. was mm. coffee was expensive even then. Oh yeah, oh yeah, it was, and and, and you couldn't get there was no such thing as instant coffee or anything like that. It was just you had to go into. Um, there was very few places. I mean, that's where the business grew to what it is now. Is by by all the machinery that came about to produce fish ground coffee. Yeah, uh, you know the boat brewers and espresso machines and all and that's yeah. where we developed I, I was fairly instrumental in building that up and that's what is the business today now because we only have Grafton Street as a cafe um, and but we've these what we call a food service business supplying cafes coffee shops and all 
what how did you come up come up with the idea of 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 bringing in machines and, and, and changing well, the whole system well, yeah that, 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 when i was at, at, at the counter um, after moving from the cafe out to the coffee counter we were making up packets of coffee to go into Trinity, for one example, and Nesbitt's, or Arnott's, which was owned by the Nesbitt's in those days, they used to get ground packets, quarter pound packets of coffee, and they had a stills machine to, to make the ground coffee. Yeah. And very few places had, had that. Um, and that business was, was um, growing a little bit, and we were trying to make up these packets in the morning, and customers were coming in to buy a quarter pound of this and a half pound of that, and they were interfering with us making up this wholesale business so I moved that end of it the wholesale out to the back of the Westmoreland Street and um, we, we put in a little machine there for packing them up and, and, and at the same time these pour over coffee machines you know where there's a jug a three pint jug yeah. and uh, coffee filters into it. so they, they were be, they were being um, coming on the market and Robert Roberts who were our competitors um Actually, Johnny Bewley's grandfather was the director of Robert Roberts. Was he? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Quaker firm, Robert Roberts. Yeah. yeah. Where were they? Uh, well, they had two places in, in Graffins. One, one top of Graffins, one in Suffolk Street, and the mice, anyway. But the, they've gone now. And you were saying Johnny Bewley is not connected to you. No, uh, no, well. You'd have to go way back. Well, yeah, yeah a couple of generations. Yeah, yeah. but he's grandfather, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, the, the, the advent of these um, pour-over machines pour and serve machines um, Robert Roberts had a, um, were, were in they had this wholesale business going when, when I was there and and we just I'd moved into the, this business out the back of West Mullen Street and we started free loaning these machines to, to offices and coffee shops on the basis that they took a, a, case, a case of coffee a week <laughs> uh, you see, and, and we built the price of the machine into the the packet of co- onto the case of coffee, and we gave free service. And this took off like mushroom, you know, mushroomed. Um, and Robert said, "This is ridiculous. Why don't you take the profit of the machine?" And he said, "No, we're doing this way." And so we got a huge head start. And then that built there was a bigger machine, a bulk brew machine, and it was, you took eight coffees, eight cases a month. You got a free machine and free service. And it, this was terrific. This is manna from heaven from the um, hotels and uh, um, coffee shops and all because they didn't have to p- put out the capex. I mean, a bulk room machine was fifteen hundred euros or something, so we gave it free. Um, uh, and that 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 is the, the, the nucleus of what it is today. And that and uh, that so the food service business now is what we Bewleys have now with business in the UK, America, and Ireland. Um, and it's all just supplying coffee and tea to the food service outlets. And you started that? I, I started that, uh, um, and, and it's... Um, My God. Anyway, I retired in, Jan- yeah. and retired in June after 53 years in Bewley's. Wow. Yeah, well, <laughs> but that it, that came about sometime in the middle of the 80s, 90s. That, 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 well, it, we, start, we would have started that in the, um, in the 80s, yeah. That's right. We were taken over by Campbell Case in '86. We were going fairly. St- the, when when Paddy Campbell took over the business, he he thought he. he well, I, I know catering because contract he is contract catering business. You know, supplying food yeah. um, to companies. He said, "I know about catering. Uh, I can run Bewley's. But what he didn't understand was, was retail catering, because he was supplying. Uh, canteens and things where the, the, the customers were constant they, they couldn't go anywhere else they had this take it or leave it yeah. but retail you know if I don't like this I'm not going back in the next day if you're <laughs> yes. so, so it's a huge learning curve which he's still trying to <laughs> come to go <laughs> uh, he, he, so he what he did he came in and, and he, I'm going to run the business the, the, ca- the coffee business cafe business and I tell you what you, I don't know anything about coffee you go down and run the we had at this stage we'd moved to a, a premises in Hanover Street we'd taken it out of the back of Westmore Street and put the put our roaster and grinders and all into a, a warehouse in Hanover Street so he said you go down and run that and that was that was concentrating on the wholesale yeah, business yeah, yeah. Food service, and yeah. you kept running that. I ran that. I ran that, and then it developed from eighty six onwards. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. and then up to, and then I, 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 re- I retired from that. But I was a director then. In, in recent times, um, I went from a five day to a four day to a three day, and and um, and that's how you you, yeah. you kind oh, of slowly uh, yeah uh, until, wound, I, wound until I retired business. at the end of June. 
Beolius was there was something about Beolius that um, uh, I, I mean I, I knew obviously when I was at Calbrough Street and we'd often come over and have coffee and Beolius and so on and and it, it was such an important part of the cultural I suppose fabric in Dublin. Uh, and you never felt that you'd ever have any impact on it one way or the other but to, to, to actually face with a situation where it could go out of existence I just felt um, if I could do anything to, to salvage it that I should And now we listen to Patrick Campbell of Campbell Catering who bought Bewley's but first he talks about the reasons why Bewley's failed in business uh, they had problems themselves. I mean, you know a little bit about the history of Bewley's. They had been uh, Victor Bewley, as I often say, he, he, he loved not wisely but too well. But he decided that rather than have the the ownership of the business passed on from generation to generation, that it would be more appropriate to give the give the shares in the business to the workers. And and he did that, and it was a, set up as a co-op. Um, but it simply didn't work uh, in terms of you know, there was nobody really leading the business anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, the employees, they had seven different trade unions. Uh, even the management belonged to a trade union. And uh, and they they gave themselves days off and, you know, they didn't work bank holidays or Sundays and the, uh, the, the bakers only came in at 8 o'clock in the morning, all this kind of stuff. And the customer got forgotten about. Plus, they also had, um, uh, Victor Bewley had started a pension scheme yeah. when there were a few people retiring of his say um, vintage and he felt sorry for them and so he started paying pensions uh, two thirds I think you got two thirds of your finishing salary or wage whatever that was and um, uh, you only have to be three years in the company to, to get that and so the first few people who retired and they were paid out of the weekly takings which the business was doing well at that time this would have been in the 60s I mean we all thought Bewley's was unsinkable it was like yes. the Titanic but uh, it was getting into trouble because more and more people were retiring so that at, it got to a stage that more uh, pensioners than they had employees The time when um uh, you were saying that uh, Victor now and, and and that he he you know he was too soft. Yeah, he, he, he actually he was quite a, a stern man. I, I gather a very a, quite a strict boss, but very fair. But he also had this. He had the the ethos. Uh, the Quaker ethos was uh, very, I suppose, humanistic. And uh, but he he was doing what he thought was the right thing. Yeah. And as I used the expression, he loved not wisely but too well. He formed this co-op, or he, he set up a co-op for where the employees owned the company, so they all had shares, but they could do nothing with the shares. They couldn't buy them or sell them. They couldn't. Uh, they got no dividends. They just owned the shares. So they, you know, so they had it, 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 technically they had power, but they didn't really have any power. And that and that really brought them down. Well, that was so. The, so they 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 had their own trade unions and they negotiated with themselves and they gave themselves nice conditions. And but actually, it was at the time inflation then was running at eighteen percent. VAT was twenty two percent, and bank interest was was twenty percent. I mean, they, those were the, that was a real crisis time. Talk about the the, the crisis we had in two thousand and twelve. But that was really the the. The, the country was virtually broke. I mean, Gay Byrne used to say it's banjaxed. <laughs> the country is banjaxed. <laughs> I don't know whether you remember that. Yeah, the uh, downturn in, yeah, in the economy yeah. was. But really also, bad. he started this uh, yeah. this pension scheme yeah. where he, he, a few people retiring of his own vintage, and he felt sorry for them, and he said, "We'll pay them a pension." Yeah. And the co- business was doing well. This was in the late sixties, and uh, so they could afford to pay them, but they didn't realise every year there were more and more people leaving and going yeah. on pension and. And eventually, they had more pensioners than employees. So, were you approached, or did you approach them? No. What happened was that um, uh, that they also owed uh, at that time half yeah. a million in back taxes. <coughs> they weren't able to pay their taxes. They were running out of cash. Uh, it was a, a really critical time in the business. And uh, in the meantime, we were our business was was powering ahead. I mean, we were we were. Somebody said to me, "You're you're actually not in the Irish economy. You're in the American economy," because we were catering for some of the big um, uh, tech tech companies, high tech companies, the likes of Intel, the likes of you know all the big de- tech. Mm-hmm. We Dell, we catered for all of those. Also, the university, like they were all booming, and we happened to be servicing the, them. So our our business was wasn't as much affected by the local economy as other business would have been um, but we happened to be in a good place um, and we were generating good 
profits and good returns from the business. So it was a it was a highly, I mean, <laughs> to, when I went to our bank manager at the time and said we were thinking of buying Bewley's, I remember three words he said to me: "Are you mad?" And and actually he was probably right because he said, "You have a fine business, you're doing well. Why why the hell would you want to take on Bewley's? Because it was losing money. I mean, it was it was doing going all the wrong direction." But one thing we did understand, Bewley's at that time was a catering business. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was cafes. Yeah. They had, we're doing a tiny little bit of coffee outside of Bewley's. In other words, if you had a restaurant in Dame Street, you could come up and get your coffee put in a brown bag and bring it back and uh, Bewley's coffee. You can have Bewley's coffee here. And it was a big privilege for people to have Bewley's coffee in the restaurant at that time. Um, and they had a fellow with a, with a hand truck that used to go to, around uh, delivering to the rest. That was the first deliveries <laughs> were happening. And when we bought the business, and that's how Paddy Bewley came into it. Paddy was the, was the chief executive of the company at the time. But he, he had been isolated in a way. He was, he was, he was a figurehead. But it, his passion was coffee and tea. And whereas I understood catering, I knew nothing, little or nothing about coffee and tea, but I did understand how to run the catering business. Yeah. Uh, he understood the tea and coffee. So one of the things we we did was we said, Paddy, you look after coffee and tea. And they owned, a, um, or rather they had leased a factory, bought the lease on a factory down in Hanover Street yeah. from from Goodyear Tires. And the, the rent on it was, in those days, 100000 a year. But they bought it, uh, for, for, uh, or they got paid a negative premium because the rent was so high, but they just needed cash so much that they 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 paid this high rent. Sorry, it was the other way. The, the amount they were paid was a hundred thousand, yes. but the rent was say was twenty thousand, and it was just uh, you couldn't afford it. Yeah. But actually, that's where, where the catering, uh, where the coffee was started. Where and that's the, where the producing the coffee, yeah. yeah. Outside, previous to that, the, the coffee was made in, in Westmoreland Street. They had a, a loft in mm-hmm. Westmoreland Street. They had a rope for the, the girls who were actually packing the coffee. In case a fire broke out, they had to jump like firemen on a rope and come down. <laughs> Never <laughs> happened, actually. But that was it was that that yeah. far back and they had a, ro- a roasting plant and they had a roaster in the window on Grafton Street now it was a couple of years before we took over people remember that still but uh, so they used to roast their own coffee in the cafes yeah. and they had a bakery uh, which was in Long Lane up around the Liberties and it was it was almost wiped out in terms of the, the, the equipment was all slapped out it needed to be completely re- re-equipped etc etc so being a dub uh, yeah. did you have you know was this something like was this a, a, a trophy like I have to get I have to buy get into beauty no no what, how it happened was um, funny enough I was only in my early 40s at the time and I remember um, that I actually decided to retire my first retirement and uh, and we had a very good management team in Campbell Catering. I must acknowledge that. I mean, you were asking how did we manage all this, but we had a very good management team, uh, including a network of people around the kind of like different managers running different units. We had area managers. We had a managing director, um, Lorraine Sweeney, who was the she was very strong managing director. Uh, Jerry Fagan, who was our financial director at the time, he he ran the offshore side of the business, and so we had a really good management team. And I actually said, "You don't need me. I'll stay as chairman, but I'm, I'm I want to do something else in my life." I didn't know what I wanted to do. We went off to America with the family. We we the five children at the time. We took them all to America, and we we travelled around for about a month. And when I came back to Ireland, I remember um, actually. Uh, going into Grafton Street for a cup of coffee and I opened the Irish Times and I read that Bewley's is in trouble. I never kind of even, nobody dreamt Bewley's in trouble, that can't be it's the Titanic type of thing <laughs> and actually um, uh, Gareth Fitzgerald had stood up in Dáil Éireann and said Bewley's is in trouble it's too important an institution to be allowed to go to the wall we have to rescue it and I have asked SART, which was the Council for Education, Recruitment and Training in the Catering Industry, to take over Bewley's and they will manage it. And uh, and so we're going to save Bewley's. Now, there was a lot of panic amongst the staff prior to that because they all thought we're going to place is going to close down, we're going to lose our jobs. Yeah. Suddenly they found, oh, we're going to be civil servants. Isn't this wonderful? <laughs> we don't have to worry anymore. And uh, and so Gareth Fitzgerald hadn't even told his own cabinet colleagues about this. 
He yeah. thought everyone would think this is a wonderful idea, but he came under pressure from all the people of it. All the, say, the old men's hostels, the, all the good causes around the place. Said, Why don't you nationalise this, nationalise that, and so on. And, of course, he, he, he realised, I have to back out of this. And although there were people interested in Beaulieu's at the time, one was a bakery, one was, say, a coffee business, yeah. another was a, a catering, but, but nobody wanted to take on the whole thing. And the, the staff at the time, had, they had a kind of a staff council, and what they were saying is, we want one person to take it all over, and we don't want any asset stripping. We want you know somebody to come and take us over. Now, there, you could say beggars couldn't be choosers, but actually... I, again, I, I was mad <laughs> to go to my bank manager, so I said, well, why don't we have a go at this? And my own uh, management said to me, that's not part of our strategy. I mean, we had a strategy then, and I used to say, you have to focus, focus, focus. And I remember uh, they said to me, well, you always told us to focus. Why don't we focus on the business we're in? And we're, this is a completely different kind of business. It's it's coffee, it's tea, it's it's bakery, it's it's um, it's cafes. We don't know anything about that. So I said, well, what you have to do is focus, but don't be blinkered. <laughs> and <laughs> so I had to come up with my own way of dealing with that. But I felt again, why don't we have a go at it? And we actually had a plan how we would actually do it. Again, one of the things I had to deal with, and I mentioned the trade union thing, I, I, was, I was good at negotiating because I, I knew how to deal with these situations. And I knew that you have to prepare to walk away. I mean, that's at the end of the day, uh, if, you can, if you can do that, you, and, you have to, and you really do have to be prepared to say, look, if you don't want to do this, nobody's going to force mm. you, but if you don't want it, and we said that to the, we had to deal with the staff, first of all we had to buy their shares from them, or acquire the shares and secondly we had to uh, deal with them as employees and say, we, you, you, your jobs will be safe, we'll actually give you like with all the inflation that was going on there they, they were getting no pay increases because the company couldn't afford to pay them the pensioners were threatened with having no pensioners, pensions and uh, so you'd ne- negotiate all of that So was that a, fact, a factor that you, know, that you wanted to kind of Secure their jobs as well, uh, or, uh, know, in or a way. Yeah, I mean, if they were if they were prepared, I mean, what we want to do is normalise the, the working conditions yeah. and say, well, look, if the bakers, for example, you have to come in early in the morning and yeah. work because because by the time you get the bread delivered, if you start at eight in the morning, the bread is delivered. Actually, I'll tell you a little story about this. But if you deliver the bread and comes in at twelve o'clock into the cafes, yeah. Uh, uh, the w- housewives had gone home at that stage so because there were a lot of retail shops at that time and uh, so that was the kind of thing that you had to do say yeah, we have to rationalize the, the the conditions here and and you know if you're prepared to do that and so we set out all the things that would need to change uh, and we were going to open on Sundays we're going to open on bank holidays the business we need that business we're paying rents etc etc and um but above all else, the one thing that we, we had to promise we would do is set up a pension fund uh, ind- independently of the business. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, we, had, we, we were able to scrape enough together to do that at the time. And we, did, we guaranteed those people then by putting the money into a fund that they would, they would get, uh, they'd be paid their pensions for the rest of their lives. And that was a very important part of it because they, they also although they didn't have a vote in the business at that time, they came along to the meetings in the end when yeah. the thing was on the, on the cliff edge and said, you know, what about us? Because, you know, and, and actually the, the initially the staff voted not to accept our offer and then uh, when they, they all these people came into the next meeting, yeah. they just infiltrated the meeting, all these baldy and grey-headed people and said, we, we, we need our pensions, what about us? And they'd been forgotten about. Can I ask you, when you were... When you were buying Bewley's here, uh, were you also you wanted the name? You wanted to buy Bewley's? No, no, something you wanted. uh, No, I didn't really understand even the value of the brand. I I didn't understand that. Somebody said to me after we had acquired it, "What you bought here is a reputation," and that didn't occur to me at the time. I didn't. I didn't realize the value that that potentially that had. And brands at that time weren't as as big a, a thing as they would be now. But actually, uh, that was something that I never... I didn't put a particular value on it. And in fact, on their, on their balance sheet, for example, it wasn't valued at all. They didn't, it didn't, and it, even now, it doesn't enter into the balance sheet. It, the, the, the financial people don't put a value on the brand. They don't actually know what it's worth. Um, 
but obviously it's worth what you what you make of it in a sense uh, and uh, and the reputation part was very important because the reputation wasn't just about whether it's good coffee but they also had a reputation for being um, good people the, the the ethos that they had the Quaker ethos the fact that they looked after their staff well all of those things that reputation and the reputation for caring for uh, for people for caring even for the environment for all the things that and that's still they're still our values today and in fact as a family um, we we felt very much at, e- at, at, at ease with that and so taking over the business uh, we didn't have a difficulty in, in managing that we weren't interested in asset stripping uh, but we did one of the things we did have to do was um, the Grafton Street at that time was a freehold it was owned by, by Bewley's it was owned and, yeah. but the freehold was, wasn't very highly valued in their balance sheet because because management was so poor at the time and the business was losing money so they were saying well you know you can't you can't put much value on that uh, if you were to sell it for example you'd have if they did a sale and lease back but once we took it over the value of that shot up because people recognized these people can actually pay the rent so so they put a value on it which enabled us to sell the freehold lease it back and we used that money partly to 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 um, finance the pension fund which which turned out that that the original we did our own actuarial exercise and we found we don't have we don't have enough in that but we we were able to use some of it to to give more money to the pensioners but also uh, to to start restoring the the Grafton Street itself and Westmoreland Street the other cafe so the money went back into the business straight away people often ask oh why did you do that you should never have sold the freehold but it was actually like at the time the banks didn't want to lend us any money like the bank managers still thought we were mad so we had to do it out of our own resources whatever resources we had in Campbell Catering at the time which was a good cash flow well funded business but you know this is a big outpouring of money into this plus we we used the 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 um, proceeds of the sale and lease back in Grafton Street to refinance some of the things we were doing in 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 um, restoration, uh, restoration etc yeah. etc et and that that became so the the cafes immediately started to uh, they were rejuvenated and uh, uh, and we got great public support for that. Well, that's the end of this week's podcast, the story of Bewley's. I hope you enjoyed listening to this week's podcast and the complete interview with Paddy Bewley and Patrick Campbell are available on our website. That's www.irishlifeandlore.com And now for the final and last of the series of seven family businesses in Dublin, I'd like to tell you that we're going to branch into a new topic altogether and we would like your suggestions if you would like to contact us through our website and here's a clip from Heaton's and Company Limited. We bought a big site down in the Pigeon House Road down right in the docks so the bulk carriers which were then had replaced all the little, uh, uh, you know, the small colliers. The bulk carriers were able to come straight in, bringing 30,000 tonnes of coal rather than 500 tonnes, straight into the dock. Well, I look forward to bringing you that podcast next week. I'm Maurice O'Keefe, and thank you for listening. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.